Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 37, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, July the 15th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our study in the books of 1 Samuel and Acts, as well as the Gospel according to Mark. And we've been looking at the life of David and the, the, the struggle between he and the king, the first king of Israel, Saul, and also the relationship between Jonathan and David, um, Jonathan being Saul's son, in case you haven't been listening the last couple of days. Um, it, it's an unusual set of circumstances and relationships to say the least Saul was anointed the first king of of Israel chosen by God Um, God gave the word to Samuel to anoint him gave signs to Saul to certify that indeed God had chosen him and and yet Saul never felt comfortable in his role he never um, embraced the role never embraced God's leadership over him he allowed the people to lead him on multiple occasions, and because of his insecurities in that role, he also lost it and got got it taken away from him because he wouldn't follow God's leadership. He would allow the people to lead him. He was a weak leader, and that was a big problem. And so David had been anointed, and Saul may not have been aware of that, but he was aware that David was a threat to his kingdom, and he was a threat to his son Jonathan, who would have been the heir presumptive. And now we have David and Jonathan have made a pact with one another, a covenant. And David knows that Saul's trying to kill him. And Jonathan just can't imagine that to be true because David has so faithfully served his father. And Jonathan's laid down his claim to anything like a throne in support of David's ascension to that role. And so here we have David and Jonathan have made this agreement that if Saul is indeed intent on killing him, then there's a sign that they've worked out between them, and it involves Jonathan shooting an arrow. And if that arrow goes side to side from where David is, then it's no problem. David can come back and join the king's retinue in the palace. Uh, Otherwise, if he shoots it beyond him, then David knows it isn't safe. And so that's exactly what happens. They go out, David's out in the field hiding behind a pile of rocks, and Jonathan comes out and and well first Jonathan um, goes to dinner at his father's home and, and David's not there and it, it Saul didn't say anything the first day but the second day he wanted to know where is David wait he didn't call him David actually he just says why is not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today and Jonathan explains David asked me leave of me to go to Bethlehem he said let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to go there. So now if I've found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he didn't come to the king's table. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. You son of, of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. 
And so he is, he is, in Saul's eyes, disrespected his own father and his own mother by choosing to align himself with David rather than his own family and to his own detriment because his kingdom won't be established so long as David is alive. And so Jonathan just simply wants to know why. Why should he be put to death and what's he done? And Saul did what he did with David. He hurled his spear at him to trying to kill him. So Jonathan knew what was going on. He rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. And so the next morning, Jonathan goes out into the field with his, with a little boy who's going to pick up these arrows and he, he shoots the arrows and, and gives the sign to David that, that the arrows have gone beyond the mark and therefore Saul is intent on the murder of David. And then he tells his young boy <clears throat> to take my arrows and the, uh, the weapons and go into the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. He's thanking Jonathan <coughs> in appreciation for his faithfulness and his loyalty and giving him this sign. Because he could have not done this, but he chose David over his own father in this matter because he knew that David was innocent and he knew that David was the Lord's, Lord's anointed. And they <coughs> kissed one another and wept over one another, David weeping the most. And so David is, is just devastated <coughs> because he knows what this means. He knows it's an ultimate parting of the ways. Jonathan can't leave his father's side and go with David. He has to stay with his father and be loyal to the man who is the king at that time. And so he, Jonathan said, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and then Jonathan went into the city. <clears throat> it's, it's the last time they're likely to see each other under any sort of pleasant circumstance. And they know this parting is ultimately... Um, forever and we'll see David later carrying out the promise that he made to Jonathan so that so long as as one of Jonathan's relatives or one of his children lived then David would take care of him it's the promise that he made to Jonathan and he fulfills that promise by taking in Jonathan's son Mephibosheth later it's it's important that we be the kind of loyal people that 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 are that are faithful to covenants that we make but it, but it's more important that we follow the lord in, in all the things that he's calling us to do in our lives it, it's it's easy to become the person who who becomes jealous and who becomes um who, who wants what another has and it, it, we see the Pharisees here at the end of the gospel lesson today that they're prepared to destroy Jesus because he's a threat to their kingdom they don't have a kingdom in the way Saul did or, or that Jonathan would have had it passed to him, but they have a place and a position of power, and they don't like to give that up. I've seen it over and over again in the church. You've seen it probably in places where you've been, but, but people who are, who are just simply existing on power. And in this passage, what we get is David, or not David, <laughs> Jesus and his disciples going through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. And as they're going along, the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain from the 
sheaves as they walked by, and they would grind them in their hands to release the, the edible part of the, of the grain, and, and that was considered work. And so the Pharisees said, ah, look what they're doing. That's not lawful on the Sabbath. It's just good grief. I mean, you just can't imagine what it would be like to have, have these people around sort of being the ones who stamp out all the fun in the world and, and who are, are, are prepared to, at the, at the drop of a hat, to emphasize any ridiculous thing in the world. I mean, they're just walking along grinding grain in their hands to eat. It, it's lawful to do that, to provide sustenance for yourself. And so they, they say, however, they're doing what's lawful on the Sabbath, not lawful on the Sabbath because it's work. He said, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? That's the key there, in need and hungry. He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he also gave it to those who were with him. So David had entered the priest's, priest at Nob. He had entered the the tabernacle there and and they didn't have anything to eat except the showbread which goes before the lord for several days and then it's replaced and replenished every week and so they they had that and so david ate that and it's right they they they, it was not allowable for anyone other than the priest to eat it but because of need because of preservation of life issues that this was perfectly okay for david to do that in those situations and jesus is comparing those situations um and he said to them the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath so it's an interesting way of of um not twisting but but saying this making this statement that the sabbath was made for man it was a day to give man rest it was a gift from god to man the sabbath that's exactly what jesus is saying and not the other way around so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath and one of the things you may not be aware of is 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 that in the beginning of creation the the way that they read the the, the creation itself has to do with this this idea of God working and he worked a little bit on the Sabbath and then he rested from his labors is the, the way that they read that passage and, and it's it you can see why they would read it that way because it's probably the 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 most clean way of reading the act of creation and so there is some work that can be done but Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and if he is Lord of the Sabbath then then he can he makes the rules and that's exactly what it's what it's saying but so being lord of sabbath doesn't mean that you don't observe sabbath that's not what it means at all it it means let's keep this in the proper order that human beings are the most important thing in god's creation because we create in his image and so then he goes into the synagogue and again we're still on the sabbath and so we get a man with a withered hand coming up and and he they (laughs) the pharisees are watching jesus to see if he would heal on the sabbath so that they might accuse him. I mean, it's all they're doing at this point. <clears throat> and this is early. They were in Mark 2. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And they said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath or to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? If your donkey is stuck in a ditch on the Sabbath and needs to get out, then it's okay to take the donkey out. To, and again, he's elevating humankind in this. And so he says, Is it lawful to do good or evil? <clears throat> 
uh, to save life or to kill it. And so, if it's if it's true that that's that if it's if that's true in the realm of human and other animal interaction, how much more so would it be with with another human being and to take compassion? on this man in this place in this way and so they were silent didn't answer him because they knew what the answer was it was yeah you're right it is it is lawful to do good and to save life so he says stretch out your hand he stretched it out and his hand was restored and then at the the last sentence is so ominous that pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the herodians against him how to destroy him i mean it's it's the most unlikely pairing of people that you'll ever see the pharisees and the herodians because 99.99 percent of the time they would have considered the herodians uh beyond um compromised they they had compromised with rome they're the, the least likely allies the Pharisees would have because they don't care. The Herodians are those who are supporting Herod, the one who had married his brother's wife, um, who is a Jew of sorts. And so they're, they're, they're just cultural Jews at this point. But, and the Pharisees are, are religious and legalistic Jews, and, and they're making common cause with the Herodians because they know where the real power is behind all this stuff. If they can get to Rome, then they can destroy him. They don't have the ability to do it without the support of Rome because they're not allowed to put people to death under their law, but they can under Roman law. And so that's the reason they would have collaborated and conspired with the Herodians in this particular instance. The, the, <clears throat> there's always opposition. You know, there's always going to be opposition to the work. Sometimes the, the opposition is internal and sometimes the opposition is external. But if God calls you to do something, then the only thing to do is persevere in doing it. But then you've got to be prepared when you do that to face opposition. To, to get pushback from from outside or inside and we see that in in David's case we see that in Jesus's case and then we certainly see it in this Acts passage which is Acts 13 and so they're still at Antioch remember Barnabas went and brought Saul to Antioch and so here they are and then then we get a listing of the people who were there Simeon who was called Niger who we believe to be Simon of Cyrene Lucius of Cyrene which we believe to be, be Simon's son and then some others, one of whom is a lifelong friend of Herod. And so when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And after fasting and praying, they set, laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they're going to send them out of Antioch to go somewhere else. And so they go down to Cyprus and they begin to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews there. This is before Paul has has embraced fully his role as missionary to the Gentiles, and he has to embrace it largely because of what the, the persecution that he faces inside Judaism about his proclamation of Jesus. And so as they come along, they meet a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name is Bar-Jesus. And he's another man who is jealous, because he, that, that man, Bar-Jesus is with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But this magician, Elimus's meaning of his name, opposes them, seeking to turn the proconsul from the faith because he had something previously that was of value, but now if the proconsul turns to the faith, then he has no further real need of uh, this magician. And so he, <coughs> Paul looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, 
you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. So this magician has the tables turned on him. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went, out, went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed what he saw had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul tells the Corinthians that, that his proclamation of the gospel was attended with works of power as well. And here we see that same thing because there's a confrontation between two powers. You've got a magician and then you've got an honest apostle. So you've got a, you've got a magician and a false prophet. And then now we get Paul coming in. And so the power of God has to be shown in this instance in order that this proconsul will know the truth in the same way that, that God proved himself to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt in the plagues, but they didn't turn to him. In the same way in which he overthrew the Egyptian magicians. In the same way that in Babylon, Daniel was greater than all the seers, the prophets, uh, and the sages of Babylon. And so we've got to constantly be aware that we're going to be opposed in the work that we've been given to do. If God's called you to something, again, he's going to say to you two things, follow me and fear not. Because if you follow him, you're going to be in these places where you're going to be opposed. And we know that you're going to be opposed to the crucifixion of Jesus is the proof that the world will hate us. The more we are like Jesus, the, world, the more the world will hate us. And so we've got to be prepared for that opposition, and we can't take it personally. We've got to deal with it at the level of a spiritual opposition, not, not a personal opposition, lest we become like those who oppose us.